Okay, good morning, everybody. Well, I don't know it's morning for you, but welcome to the Eric Anders Lang Show. I'm very excited to be joined by, well, I mean, I, I don't know you, Daniel, but I know your work, and I, I've actually been a fan of your work since before I knew it was your work. I'm talking about the Brooks Kepka article that... Oh, yeah, sure. That that Brooks Kepka article was... Um, anyway, we'll get into that. I'm, I'm fascinated to talk to you about Brooks, but... Um, you're a writer. You're a your your bio says features editor. Um, right. You you love golf. You live in New York. You grew up in L.A. Um, what do you say when you meet someone in an Uber? What do you do, guy? I'm a um, a magazine editor, a magazine writer, and a novelist. So I've um, a couple books. Been working in magazines since right after college. Um, in 2008, was at GQ. Um, as an editor for 12 years, just recently left and have a, my titles correspondent there. So I still do articles there and then kind of other mix of writing. The world of a writer, is it as romantic as it is depicted in black and white movies? <laughs> I think, I think, um, you know, at, at fleeting moments it is, but for the most part, it, uh, it's not quite like it, it like it was maybe, or, um, you know, even, even through, uh, I was I was just recently laughing with some friends who do magazine writing about like reading articles about the sports writers of the '90s and their million dollar contracts and all this stuff as as the magazine world changes as much as it does right now or or with publishing and you know being able to write for for a living is an amazing thing is it is it what it was in terms of that sort of stability and and uh, and the big the big loft apartments in New York and the uh, you know the big houses out in in uh, Montana or whatever probably not but um, you know I, I love it I think that the people that can make it work um, it's a really special and exciting thing and we wouldn't change the work itself as a as a writer you 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 travel the world in search constantly I presume of a story you're sure. sort of always maybe trying to contextualize it's almost like you're a comedian you know you're, you're, you're always trying to look at something through a lens your lens uh, the, the the writer's lens w what is that like is it that different it, have you have you been able to step outside of that experience as a writer so as as an editor it was really interesting working with as many writers as i did because you got to ask that question that you that you just asked and kind of understand that about a lot of different writers. And I think it's different for, for everyone. For me personally, I feel like I um, flip on a switch. That's almost like a camera lens or something that you're, that you're either on for me and all the details are kind of coming in and you're processing them. And that's what all the note taking is. That's what, um, whether it's for a magazine story where you're with a subject and you're just fully absorbing all the little things around them and, um, you know, every little thing they say and how that connects to something they maybe said 10 years ago and trying to, to connect all those things, or I'm like, have it totally off and I'm not noticing almost anything and, you know, can, can walk through situations where, um, you know, I'm, I'm missing things. I think some writers have it constantly on and that's sort of their, their mode. I'm definitely in or out or, um, you know, like when I'm, when I'm writing fiction or, or those, those novels like that, that's like the lens is open, you know, for a, a lot of the time and picking up lots of things that make it into the work. And, 
Um, but, but to your question about just like each of those different stories, what, what I love about magazine stories is they are sort of a discrete period of time that for that like three months or whatever that you're working on a Brooks Kepka story or um, something about um, a, a crime in, in Ukraine or, or a, uh, you know, a celebrity in Hollywood is like you have that period of time where you're just absorbing everything about them and, and their kind of story and then, yeah, trying to translate that into the best kind of most most fresh and, and interesting and exciting kind of, you know, short form pop of that 4,000, 6,000 words, something like that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know why, but for some reason, when I'm watching a film, the writer is always my favorite character. It, sure. I mean, clearly someone wrote the movie, so they relate to that, you know, title character, the lead role. But for some reason, <clears throat> I'm not a writer, but maybe I identify with writers in the sense that the, in, in this sort of movie depiction that they're just sort of walking around asking at questions. And, and, and a lot of times I think I know for me, I don't even know why I'm asking the question and I don't, right. I don't really even need an answer in, and, and you know, a lot of times a great article basically does that without like nailing it on the head, you know, like, like, like a great, a great piece of written form, kind of leaves you not knowing more than knowing. Is that true or am I just talking out of my, you know? No, I, I think that that's right. And I think that, I mean, one of the thing that a lot of journalists, especially magazine writers who um, are not necessarily pursuing like the specific answer um, to one question as maybe a newspaper writer is in, in a certain kind of article, a magazine writer just gets has permission for this fixed period of time to... Um, ask any question, you know, of the people that are surrounding this story. If you're invited into that orbit, it's kind of a, an amazing thing that I, I don't feel like I have that permission in any other aspect of my life to, you know, some people do. They can walk right up to a table and butt right in or whatever. I actually am a pretty, um, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty quiet person generally and, and let people mind their own business until that, that flip is switched. And um, then it's, Right, like you, you have hours and hours to pry, and um, and you kind of read that person to to see, um, you know, what's too far. You can usually figure out, figure out like you know how to steer a, a conversation, and and that kind of ability to get into places and corners you have you don't even know where it's going can be, you know, that that's really exciting stuff. But it, it was funny when you were talking about like walking walking down the street, those characters in movies or whatever. One of one of my good friends. Um, who's a writer for the New Yorker and a bunch of other places. She, I remember once described like what she does as a professional noticer. And like, I always like that just in the sense of, you know, you're, you're just seeing, if you can see things that um, other people can't, when you're all staring at the same thing, that's a really valuable way to be able to kind of translate again in a, in a, in a way that makes you see something fresh again, um, especially if, it's the kind of subject that a lot of people feel familiar with. I think those are the best kinds of um, pieces about, especially about famous people when we've all been looking at them. And if you can find a way to see them new again, I think that people get really excited about that to have that injection of sort of, um, I don't know, an, an exciting fresh lens on that. Uh, you, you just mentioned talking about something and seeing it in a way that <clears throat> no one's seen it before. You, um, you're a golf writer, not so much. You're a golf writer, maybe in the closet. You're a golf writer, 
maybe maybe you don't want to be a golf writer. Maybe that maybe you maybe you write about golf in a way that no one else does. In any event, you write about golf for people that don't play golf. Right, right. I mean, it's it's interesting because I've been at GQ um, for such a long time. There, there was really not a long. There's a lot of sports coverage at that magazine: basketball players, football players, tennis players. Over the years, hardly ever any golfers. Um, and it was just something I had had in my back pocket for a long time. I think that the, the closet part is that I probably am more obsessed with golf than any other thing in my life. And it's the thing I'd written least about probably until the last, it was kind of funny in, in six months, I had a short piece in the New York times. And then this, um, this Brooks Kepka piece and was putting a lot into that, um, that I had probably been sitting on a, a little longer, but yeah, you are constantly calibrating audience and golf is one of the strangest things to have to do that for because you either know almost everything, you know, like you're the kind of person who's probably listening to this podcast or or some others that um, are, are as obsessed as, as you and I are with this stuff, or um, you really, it, it takes a lot to try to convince you that this is something worth paying attention to. And, and of course, there's a lot in the middle there, but it does seem fairly polarized in terms of um, something like that. And so that was an interesting piece where I hope that there were things that the people who already know a lot could find something new about Brooks Kepka. But also if you had never heard of that guy or cared and, and there were ways that you could frame his story, which I think is uniquely one in which um, it can appeal more widely. And also just kind of that, that question of this guy is so immensely talented and had such incredible success. How, how do I not know? about him you know that didn't happen with athletes very often so that was very exciting for us to kind of be able to um do a story like that for a general interest magazine you know from a uh, <clears throat> you know popularity aside numbers aside when when we look at golf as a whole from your perspective from the writer's perspective from the story perspective it seems like it would be different or it is different like like there's something different between I guess articles, stories written about golf, and articles and stories written about every other sport on planet Earth. You know, and and it seems like you choosing to write about golf is is not necessarily easier. It's it's probably not. You know, editors of magazines aren't saying, "Oh, he's got an article about golf. This is amazing." You know what I mean? Like, why is golf not interesting? Why why is the stories in golf so hard to tell? I don't understand. You know, what I mean, you must have thought about this. Well, I think that the, the, the kind of like big obvious thing, at least in, in my life, and I was thinking about this a lot lately, just like in terms of my, um, I guess like you're saying closeted obsession with all this stuff is like, I have not grown up in a community where everybody played golf. My friends don't play golf. You know, I have a couple who do, but it really is like a cordoned off part of my life that I go out usually by myself to go do this thing again that I spend hours every day, probably noodling on in some way or another, you know, like, uh, and, and, um, I think that there is just a, uh, maybe, maybe it's a cultural, um, thing, I think over the last 20 years, maybe of, of just sort of being like, um, golf is trying to evolve into that mass, um, appealing place at times or at other times it is breaking itself so far off that um, it's just for the the niche um, audience or I think that the professional game is 
is a different experience than the if you play and that's like a very different kind of leveled off thing and I and so I think it's it's just complex in that way that it's not immediately easy to fall in love with it or care about it if maybe your only exposure to it is um, the you know Saturday or Sunday coverage for three hours uh, in the afternoon that kind of has some cadences that have been the same for 20 or 30 years and and so I don't know there are there are lots of little things like that I think that I grew up in a in a situation where the public golf was um, accessible and and mass appealing, I think I also know friends who only grew up, um, you know, with shitty um, public courses and then country clubs, and that's a huge cultural divide. Um, I, I think that the kind of cliche of of a of a country club, and that's where golf is played, still persists hugely. Um, where I live in in New York, you know, like it's it's hard enough to play that if um, you do, you know, it's usually there, there's, there's class elements to it. There's all, it's all sorts of things that it, it just doesn't become as immediately accessible, I think, as, uh, as some of those other sports. And in that way, I just think that, I mean, this is sort of the stuff that you're up to and, and, and a lot of things right now that, that are like the future potential for that shift just feels so ripe right now. And that's, what's very exciting about it is, is, um, you know, the culture around, the game seems to be shifting, but also all the old rules, just, I don't know if that divide, you know, if country clubs only or whatever exists. And so you have people like Kepka emerging into a conversation of, of wondering if that is broken and that golf needs to change in these ways. And maybe the PGA tour will, or, or, um, all the exciting kind of innovating going on at, in, in public golf. And, you know, in that way, I think that that will necessarily become more appealing, but for a long time, it has been kind of, um, off in its corner. You know, it's interesting as you're, as you were talking about, you know, golf, I was kind of trying to think about other sports and, and why they're so much more popular. And I, I thought of something that hadn't really occurred to me. I mean, obviously you said, you know, it's very difficult. Um, you know, it, it's, it's time consuming and things, but in a sense, like you can go to the park, throw a football, and then you quote, understand football. You can throw a baseball. You can understand baseball. Tennis. I mean, you can just hit a tennis ball with a racket at any old court, any old uh, court, and it's like you got it. Golf yeah. is like you need a piece of equipment that is sized to you. You need to where? I mean, where are you going to hit this thing? You need you need three football fields just to hit like a wedge, you know. And it's it's strange, you know. Like there, there's no. It's a very hard and, and you know. So all these other sports. I mean. I would imagine of all of the millions of people who watch football, when was the last time any of them touched a football, right? I mean, right, right. But golf, you you almost need to be touching a golf ball in order to care about watching it on TV unless you're talking about the majors or I mean, right? I mean, that's so interesting that we have that like incredible moat around getting into golf, explaining golf, becoming a fan. Yeah. Yeah, I think I mean there's a lot there and I think that 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 one of the, I mean, the other thing is you have to pay every time you play, which, you know, yeah. there are lots of places that, that are, you know, do great things to get around that. I grew up playing mostly courses that cost, you know, $5 a round for juniors and, and that, so that eliminated that, you know, hurdle, but that can be really challenging. I think that you're right though, that like you, you need that balance of the, the play and also the professional level um, to be in sync. And that's what's so exciting about the product you know, especially 
I think of the NBA in the last um, 10 years is just that sort of ascendant. Um, I don't know, the, the just sort of, sort of approachability of the players and the interest in, in um, everybody up and down the bench. And um, I think that golfers are extremely interesting up and down the bench of professional golf. And, and the more you know, the more you're rewarded with interesting stories and personalities and everything. I don't necessarily know um, if, if the television coverage, you know, like highlights that quite as well as it could. And, and that's all kind of to, uh, sorry, I thought I, I think I dropped out for a second. But, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I just think that it can be, it can be challenging when you're coming in cold to pro golf on CBS or something like that to, right. to really find your, find your, uh, handhold into the game. And so you really need, you know, people that are helping you find all those interest points and you know what you want to be reading and listening to. And, and I think that, um, I I've just noticed like, you know, so much, um, new new material in that way that can keep you interested and and lead you into different corners of that world in a way that um you know i i, I played a lot growing up um i burned out pretty seriously kind of like wasn't paying attention for for a number of years and and only maybe in the last few years like really found that kind of resurgence but it wasn't going through the old channels for me it was all the the new stuff that had emerged in that time to kind of remind me what what was always so exciting about that. And I think that 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 will be the deciding factor is like if that mainstream thing can get as interesting as what's happening at the edges. You know, and then again, I'm sorry, I keep harping on this, but is there any other sport where you have to arrive with essentially a duffel bag with like 14 (laughs) tools, 14 instruments for different reasons um, that have cost you, I mean, on the low end, if you're quasi serious, you're going to spend 500 bucks and that it's, it's almost like medical instruments, really. I mean, they're, yeah. they're relatively yeah. dangerous if misused. Um, what, what is there? There's, I cannot think of another sport. The, the, the only thing is, is ice hockey. And I, I remember growing up with a, a good friend and neighbor across the street who decided he wanted to play like one season and uh, they bought all the stuff, you know, and you've got your like hundred pounds of equipment that you're slinging over your, your back to get to the rink and you're paying for the time and everything. And then it wasn't for him. And I was like, that was, that was a pretty serious, you know, uh, shelling out of cash for that. But there, there is like, right. Everything else is, is you can, you can train at every level, socioeconomic level um, to get better in that game in public areas Um and and that's that's a big difference. And and um, like like I said, I know I know you know the the LA kind of public golf scene. But I, I just felt very lucky that there was a lot of options there. There was um, there was a great junior tour that I think still exists, the SCPGA. That was you know it was cheap. You were I, I don't know how many courses they how, how often they still play at country clubs on that on that little junior tour. But that was like my only access to a lot of those top end courses was. You know, you pay your twenty dollar entry fee or whatever, and um, and and get out there, which uh, that was so so key, you know. And but it, it wasn't like everybody everybody was doing that or something. You know, you had to be seeking that kind of kind of um, competition out. But but that was that was really important. So I I I uh, like I said I, I read the Brooks Kepka piece in GQ uh, before I knew acquainted with your work. Um, I didn't think, I don't think I realized at that time that you were a real writer. Do you know what I mean? Like, Mm. I mean, I obviously realized it was good 
and and great and and fascinating and long and like super in depth and you spent months on it but it wasn't until i read the new york times piece about golf in new york city that i really thought wow this is this is this is interesting like this is not written the way i'm used to reading and i think sure. part of that is because a lot of reading that i do within golf is like you said more news more like factual stuff and i I kind of wanted to just talk about the New York Times piece and, and you know, like, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of this, like, it's, it's kind of funny and it's sort of about this experience that you have of the wonderful kind of, it's almost like New York in a microcosm. Like, like the greatest part about being in New York is that you are sandwiched together with a bunch of people you don't know. And you talk about that on the golf course and what that's like. Can, can you kind of like just tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, so the, the New York Times Magazine has this great weekly column that I love called the uh, Letter of Recommendation. And I wrote one on um, basically playing golf off the waiting list. And um, I uh, grew up playing a lot of golf by myself in the afternoons on weekdays after school. Mom would drop me off, um, jump out with adults, um, generally, uh, you know, all the way maybe maybe 10 to 18 when I went out to college. And so had, um, had really just kind of, that was second nature to me. But at the same time, as I maybe already said, like I was developing, um, I'm pretty, pretty insular and, and, um, and, you know, I'm not the kind of person that just jumps out and talks to strangers in every other um, capacity. And yet I'd kind of grown up with this thing, went away from golf a little bit, came back when I was living in New York city. And because I didn't really have anybody else that, that any friends that were playing would kind of fell right back into this thing. So going out to these New York City public courses and you're, you're hopping in with, um, with uh, you know, anybody. And obviously any golfer knows that experience of going out by yourself and, and just getting paired up with whoever and the people that you encounter. But it was the first time that it occurred to me that I had had this sort of like very funny and unique secondary education of picking up all this, you know, for whatever reason, you see a 12-year-old by himself on a golf course, people start dispelling wisdom and, you know, their hard, their hard won opinions of, uh, of whatever it is, cities that are, that are worth it or not. Um, you know, who to date, who not to date, don't live in this kind of, kind of place, uh, on and on. And, and, um, and, and yeah, and picking that up again in New York was, was special just because, um, like I, like I said, the, the kind of golf part of New York is not part of my daily life. And so whenever you, for me, it was hopping on the the subway and then the LIRR to get out to Bethpage to play one of the five courses out there, and um, and you know just the, the people you end up with there. Which that that I think I say in the pieces, you know, the, the Carnegie Hall of playing off the waiting list is um, is is waiting to get out on the black there, and um, and so you know that that just felt like both a an experience that a lot of people in New York have, and and also I was I was finding it tying back to um, tying back to a lot of, a lot of my experiences as a kid and just kind of that value of, um, even if you're a person like, like I am, who doesn't make a habit of talking to strangers in every situation, it's a good golf's one of those unique kind of havens where you can do that. Yeah. I can't think of many, if any, uh, places where you would basically show up to a place and then work on a puzzle for four hours with three people you've never met and then never see them again or see them again. And that's really not the main thing, you know? 
Totally. And I always have this funny thing. Um, actually, another another piece I wrote was about when you go to a wedding, particularly um, by by yourself or or maybe you are seated at a at a wedding with another you know those those couples you've never met and you, you kind of are vibing with with one of the other guys and like for a night he's like you're you're kind of your buddy you know or whatever and you guys have like this this you know one night of of being best friends out there and you kind of go like is this person actually one of you know is this going to be one of my good friends and then of course you never see them again and that is like how i feel with golf a lot of the times too or you have a good experience with with somebody out there. You're like, well, sure, we're definitely going to play again next week and the week after that. And maybe this is one of my. But it's actually just one of those experiences in life where you go, oh, that's exactly what it was supposed to be. It's four hours. Never going to see this person again. You really lean into it and have a great time. But um, but then you move on and you have that experience again the next time you go out. And uh, but yeah, I always think that you know. I might keep in touch with somebody or whatever and never play with them again. But it's one of those things that is, is a, is a nice, um, yeah, it's just kind of nice to dip in and out of that sort of thing. All right. Hitting you up at the ad break here. I got a couple to run through Jones golf bags. Y'all made in Portland. These bags are, uh, they go back to the seventies. You're going to recognize these if you're older. And if you're not, you're going to be like, those look retro. They're awesome. Well, they are awesome. And they're also wonderfully priced. They also have some random golf club bags. Uh, we are getting a new bag up and running, so check back on the website for that. We're currently sold out of all the current bags that we have through Jones, um, but stay tuned. You can sign up for the mailing list at randomgolfclub.com or head over to Jones Golf Bags. Follow them on Instagram, Jones underscore sports underscore co. They make the best bags in the biz. They've got dual straps, single straps. They probably have a triple strap. They've got stand bags. Um, they my One of the best is I like the original bag. I like the player series. I also like the Ranger or the Rover. One of the two. Either way, I love that bag. And I love the guys that make up Jones. Very proud to welcome a new sponsor to the Random Golf Club universe. That's Whoop. You may have seen me wearing a, quote, watch on my right wrist. That's not a watch. It's a Whoop strap. W-H-O-O-P, and they're offering uh, a discount. I don't quite know what it is. It could be 15%. I don't know. It's pro- It could be more uh, if you use the code E-A-L. And um, my experience with this wonderful device, this wearable technology, is that it helps me get better sleep. It helps me understand the strain that I'm going through throughout the day, whether I'm you know, on the bike, it connects to my Peloton, or whether I'm just walking 18 holes of golf, which, by the way, actually is pretty strenuous. I didn't really realize that's why I need a nap in the middle of the day, folks, if I play a 6 a.m. round. Um, But definitely go check it out. They've obviously, you probably heard the news that they gave one out to every PGA Tour player because it actually has been proven to help identify, um, you know, subtle, I guess, biometric changes in your body that could lead to uh, early um, uh, detection of COVID. So, You know, a lot of reasons to try this thing. A lot of athletes have been loving it, obviously, Rory and Justin Thomas. So check that out. All right, folks, features. Here's the thing about these socks. They're not spelled F-E-A-T. They're spelled F-E-E-T-U-R-E-S. The big thing about features is it's a small change that can make a huge difference. And we've all seen this in our swing changes, our swing thoughts, our swing tips. Maybe you change the ball. Maybe you play a vice ball. I don't know. But, uh, you know, these tiny little differences can make a huge impact on the game. And Features is in that family as well. It's a compression sock. It's used for running. Uh, It's very breathable. And, uh, I mean, my experience with them is like, have you ever 
had a really, really good burrito, right? And it's just like, it's not too wet. It's not too dry. It's perfect temperature. These are burritos for your feetos. I'm telling you, like not they're, they're breathable burritos for your feetos. So definitely uh, take advantage of this code here, folks. Anyway, coming to the end, feature socks will change how you feel about socks forever. And you can get a $10 off on your first pair of features when you use the code Eric, E-R-I-K, at features.com, F-E-E-T-U-R-E-S.com. Promo code Eric for $10 off your first pair. Um, Just a couple notes on the sock itself. Targeted compression hugs the arch of your foot. Imagine that burrito getting down there on your feet. I was keeping the sock in place and preventing it from bunching, slipping or sliding down into your shoe. Who likes that? I don't like that. They're fixed the problem that I don't like. The anatomical design conforms to the left and right shape of your foot. So get them on the correct foot, my friends. Creating an enhanced custom-like fit, kind of like a burrito. (laughs) It reduces discomfort. I love reducing discomfort. Those two words are key. Also, they maximize comfort. I added that. And prevents blisters so you can focus on your game. <laughs> features features helps enhance your game so you can play harder, faster, stronger. <laughs> they wrote that. <laughs> anyway, they're good socks, I'll say. Lifetime guarantee. For his, for the lifetime of who? You or the features are so durable and long-lasting that they will outlive you. No, they didn't write that. That if you're unsatisfied at any point, they'll give you a replacement pair. No questions asked. Um, features is a proudly family-owned business, and this is where we hit the metal to the road. The pedal to the metal, the road to the rubber. Hi, Ga- Hugh Gaither. Not hi. I can't read. Hugh Gaither founded the company in 2002, and now he and his son John, his both of his sons, John and Joe, own and operate the company in North Kakalaka, Carolina. Their mission is to create products that help you achieve your personal best. I can get down with that. Let's let's support Hugh, John, and Joe in their mission of reducing discomfort. Um, no, but seriously, check out features, F-E-E-T-U-R-E-S. Use the code Eric to get 10 bucks off and support a quality family-owned business down in North Kakalakit. TaylorMade, folks. TaylorMade is a family, and it's a team. They've been so generous with their staff players for the Ace Cam videos for us, and obviously the sim driver has changed my life. I can now I can drive the ball 7,000 yards, and it actually it hits me in the, in the butt. It goes so far. Um, but definitely check out all of the things from TaylorMade. I love those guys. Vice, Vice, Vice. It's a golf ball. It's got style. It's got class. But even more importantly, it performs as good as the top performing balls for half the price. So check out the Vice commercials. You may have seen those. I don't know if you have. Maybe you haven't. I don't know. Um, we've got a random golf club ball coming out very soon. They're on a truck. I think we have, there's so many balls that they're bringing them in. I don't even know how they bring them in. They're probably not on a plane because it would weigh the plane down. I don't even know. Check up randomgolfclub.com for the vice balls coming up. Precision Pro. Also big news for Precision Pro coming soon. You've heard me talk about it. I think I can definitively say we're going to be launching this in the middle of August. The Random Golf Club Precision Pro Range Finder comes with free battery replacement for life. It's got a magnet on it. We're going to get the NX9 with the RGC branding. 
And then all of the other rangefinders they make are wonderful. It's a wonderful family operation up there in Cincinnati. Great crew. Um, and then we have um, standby. All right. Now I realize why I was stumbling is because I didn't have what I needed to have to tell you about keeps, folks. Did you know that two out of three guys will experience some form of male pattern baldness by the time they're 35? The best way to prevent hair loss is to do something about it while you still have hair left. That's the key. They didn't underline that, but I'm underlining it for you. Get treated from home. You used to have to go to the doctor's office for your hair loss prescription. Now, thanks to Keeps, you can visit a doctor online and get hair loss medication delivered right to your home. They make it easy and deliver your medication every three months so you can say goodbye to the pharmacy checkout lines, not fun during COVID, and awkward doctor visits. Keeps offers generic versions of the only two FDA-approved hair loss products out there. You may have tried them before, but probably never for this price. Quite possible. Prevention is key. Keeps, keeps treatments can take up to four to six months or more to see results, so it's important to act fast, literally Press pause and get this. Uh, the sooner you start using Keeps, the more hair you'll save. Huh. You're not even saving money. You're saving hairs. We're splitting hairs here, folks. Okay, sorry. No, stop. Find out why Keeps has more five-star reviews than any of its competitors and nearly 100,000 men. Trust, that's a that's an army. That's an army, folks. 100,000 hairy men, by the way. They're hairy for sure. Um, Keeps, Keeps, Snowball. Snowball, you have enough hair. Relax. He's hypoallergenic, so he doesn't even lose it. It's like, come on, man. It's an embarrassment of riches over there, Snowball. It's all white, I know, but you you were born with white hair. Okay, moving on. Keeps uh, their hair loss prevention medication. Keeps treatments starts at just $10 per month. Plus, $10 a month? That's a good deal. Plus, for a limited time, you can get your first month free. Required talking points. This is written in red. Use your talking points What to guide the narrative, but... To, Put it in your own words. Whoops, too late for that. Uh, <laughs> okay, I think we're good. Keeps.com, K-E-E-P-S.com slash Anders. That's my name, folks. That's how you get a discount. If you're ready to take action, if you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, go to keeps.com slash Anders to receive your first month of treatment free. That's 10 bucks off, y'all. If they, if you do it for a year, that's 8%. Quick math. Uh, K-E-E-P-S dot com slash Anders. Um, uh, we, uh, oh, we do keep customer before and after photos. That's cool. Those are online. You can go look at customer before and after photos. Keeps.com. K-E-E-P-S dot com slash Anders. Bunch of other stuff that they told me not to do. Pretty sure I didn't do it. Anyway, much love to y'all. Check out Keeps.com and check out all of our other partners that support RandomGolfClub.com and go to RandomGolfClub.com to check out stories, merch, community, and more. Membership coming soon. Bye. Hey, it's Claude Brothers here, Randy and Jason, and we have a couple of podcasts. If you, you know them or you don't know them, check them out. We do View from the Cheap Seats, which is sports and comedy, and we have a podcast called Dumb People Town where we break down stupid behavior done by stupid people in this stupid world of ours. It is hilarious. Check them both out. And now, check out this podcast. So let's talk about this Brooks Kepka piece for GQ. How many words was it? Do you remember? Do you care? Do you think about articles in that realm? 
I, I do. Um, just as an editor, I was so in tune with it, you know, where I could I could probably tell, you know, within a, a few hundred words. I think that was about um, 7,500 words or something like that. So which a is, feature. Um, it's a like big a deal. a good length feature. Yeah. And you spent, how much time on it did you spend? Um, I was only with him for about three days down in, um, in Jupiter where he and, and so many pro golfers live, which was fun for me as a, uh, as a golf fan who had never kind of dipped into that, that whole scene down there. And, um, uh, and then, yeah, it was probably, you know, a month of additional reporting and writing or something like that. And then we take it through a pretty heavy editorial process. There's, you know, it, they, they, um, I always warn them about like the fact checking process, which is pretty intense at a lot of those magazines. And, um, but, but it was definitely something that I had been thinking about for a long time too, because the pieces, it's two things. It's a profile of a person who had become suddenly, uh, quite well-known, especially in sports, but without having ever done one of these things. And that, that's like the rare opportunity where you can really get, you've done interviews before, but one where you're going, you know, at GQ, one of the things is a real focus on life off of the field or the the course and kind of what is what is life really like for this person? What does it feel like to kind of be in their shoes? And so to be able to be the first place to do a version of that, but also take up a thing that I've been thinking about a lot, just sort of in the back end of the piece about like what Brooks Kepka's ideas, how they dovetail with what I think to be maybe one of the, you know, sort of what we were talking about, like not a crisis in golf, but one of the conflicts of why it doesn't go wider. And he had a lot of thoughts about that. And that's one of the kind of bones he has to pick. And it has to do with a lot of the things that people know about him, if they know anything about some of his criticism of the game and of other players or of certain rules or of certain standards. And it all kind of comes into this idea of why um, is, is golf working so hard to make it unappealing or unapproachable for a certain, you know, additional set of people. Um, I think that Brooks, um, like fairly or not, um, has developed this reputation as wishing he played any other sport. You know, he said comments about wishing he had been a pro baseball player and, and loving, I mean, he just loves football and basketball. And, um, and I think that that's a little overstated at this point in the sense that this is a person who, devotes in a, you know his entire life to golf and and that's obviously number one but he, he's on to something just in the fact of he he rolls his eyes at the game and especially of the the sort of uh, fussy attitude of certain aspects of it as much as a, a lot of the, the the fans do I think and in that way he has become almost like a populist a hero or something, or maybe is on his way to it if he wants to. If he, I think that if he remains in the position that he's in, he could really change certain aspects. You know, if he puts his weight behind certain things, I think he's really found his voice in the last year. I think he was kind of kept to himself a little bit more, but has gotten a lot of positive feedback for him speaking out on certain things like slow play or certain dress code things or, or whatever. And, and that'll be really, really interesting to see if like he kind of pushes that a little bit more sort of like LeBron did when he reached the the top and was able to just make little, little changes here and there. Um, and when he throws his voice behind something, it carries a little extra punch. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, you know, you kind of are thinking about players and as athletes, as, as people who, who kind of change throughout their lives. And you're absolutely right. I mean, when the spotlight's on you at first, there's that moment of, Oh my God, 
everyone's listening. I don't want to say anything wrong. But then for Brooks, you know, you go a couple of years and then all of a sudden you're like, you know what? Um, I only practice for the majors and right. everybody loves it. And it's like, right. we like your take. We want to hear your take. And then all of a sudden, 10 years go by and Brooks is like you, like you kind of position, like, like all of a sudden we care so much about, you know, what he says and we enjoy his takes. And, you know, that's kind of an interesting way to look at, um, you know, not only just athletes, but people too. It's like, we, we aren't so it takes a minute to get comfortable with being ourselves. And you have to imagine, I mean, I'm sure that, you know, you've spent so much time around these types, these, these people who have become so successful at what they do that they become famous. And it's like, it's like, wow, that must be not as easy as I think it is. That must be really hard. That, what is that really like? And that's kind of goes back to what we talked about in the very beginning, which is 10 people look at Jerry Seinfeld, nine out of 10 say, man, he's got the life. And then that one person says, does he, does he really? I don't know. Right. No, absolutely. And, and one of the, the, you know, main focuses of, of a lot of that time at GQ was writing not just about athletes, but about, um, directors, about actors, about, um, people who are exactly in the position that you're talking about. A lot of them kind of in an ascendant phase where they're becoming more famous by the day, which is changing them. Um, you know, fewer people who are already at the top just because that's, that's a complicated place to, to write about somebody, you know, maybe it's a comeback, things like that. And you kind of get under the surface of that, hopefully, you know, if, if somebody can, can be honest about just what the experience of that, of that, life is like. And, um, you know, I think that a lot, a lot of, uh, celebrities, especially actors and athletes are told, um, from, I think a place that is meant to protect them, but ultimately is not great for them that like, they shouldn't say anything interesting because it would potentially be controversial. It might not mean, it might mean that they won't get their next, um, thing that they're going out for or the next endorsement or whatever. But it's such a cynical view, I think, to think that these genuinely interesting humans are not capable of like judging for themselves, uh, you know, what is interesting or not, especially in a moment when that authenticity is the key to, if you look at anybody who's successful in those, in those um, fields right now, it, it's the people that uh, fans can, can feel like they're getting a little bit more and it doesn't feel cookie cutter and it doesn't feel baked by a publicist. And, and, and so it's the strange kind of dance that we do with a lot of those, um, athletes and actors of, of they want, um, one thing and they think that the way to do that is to be as anodyne and bland and standard as anyone. When of course, as with Brooks, like you start to talk a little bit and suddenly it's, Oh, one of these 10 things might not go well, but the other nine are showing who you truly are. And that's like, um, such a valuable thing, not just for, uh, fans love it, but like, you're going to become a bigger entity by by speaking, uh, your mind. I think generally that that's how it goes. And, and that's always, always what works. Um, we find with, the profiles in particular that give more to us in terms of time, in terms of access, in terms of um, really getting getting deep into things. They are the most read, they're the most beloved, 
the we hear from those those individuals and subjects on the back end of it that are like this thing broke through in a way and framed me in a different light and and it feels different than the kind of standard other things I've done. And that's like a very exciting position to be in where you're, um, you know, whether you're famous or not, you're kind of helping, uh, I don't know, re recast again, bringing freshness to something that feels familiar, I think is, is, is really what that is. And with celebrity that is, um, that's really complicated because 90% of what they do is very standard. They maybe don't have a, a writer or a photographer or whatever who who's in that with them, you know, who like really is sort of like, we also benefit from showing you differently than, than you're perceived, you know? And, and I think that that's just kind of interesting each project out. Not everyone goes that way, but when they do, it's really successful. I think that the Brooks thing really worked in that way where um, he was like, I am tired of uh, the same questions and the same conversations. And because I understood that. And I think because I knew um, how to how to do that kind of story, but also knew my golf. I think that we like vibed pretty quickly right at the beginning in the sense that it wasn't some person who doesn't know what he's talking about on the golf course also. And um, and in that way, it just was like an exciting project. You break down some barriers and get into some interesting stuff. And I think that everybody wins in that case. Yeah, I mean, three days with Brooks Kapka. You're at his house. You go to the you 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 hang out with him throughout a lot of his routines. I want to hear about that. But did it change your golf game at all? Did you did you did you go out and play differently at all? Did it change your perspective on golf? You talk a lot about his, um, you know, in inaccessibility to emotion, right? When you know, there's the, the really the beginning of it is mostly about one of Brooks his fifteenth club, if you will, is that he is not going to show you how he felt about what just happened. Yeah, I mean, that, that is just such high level, like, uh, competitor stuff, you know, that, that you hear about where, where, right, this was um, when he, he hits his tee shot in the water on 12 at last year's Masters. Uh, and that was basically the turning point where he, he um, kind of falls out of contention and, and Tiger ends up winning. But he, he just described a scene for me um, where Tiger was on 11, he's on the 12th tee. He hits a shot in the water knowing that this probably has ended it and um but doesn't want to react because he knows that tiger will be watching him to see if it was the wind that knocked his ball in the water because it was a, a well-struck shot or if he mishit it uh in, in the water and knowing that his reaction might give tiger something um, and instead he just is completely stone-faced um in reaction to that and I just found that like some some high level stuff. I don't know if everybody is looking at him the same way that he's looking at everybody else. I think that he is is guessing that Tiger is because he's you know modeling some of that competitive um, that competitive stuff off of off of that guy. But uh, I just love that it's like he's playing a game with everybody else out there, um, trying to squeeze just little little slivers of advantage. Um, and and I just found that stuff really interesting because the way that that manifests itself on TV, if you don't have an announcer telling you that about him, he just looks super boring. You know, he's not he's not emotional at all. He's completely like not reacting to a birdie or a bogey. It's just like complete concrete. And when you um, if you don't know what's actually going on there, that you go that guy's bland. He's a robot. He's a Terminator grinding through. You know, Bell Revy or whatever. And like. Um, I just, I just love that because it was so different than the, 
thing that has been written about him so much, which is that this guy doesn't feel anything. It's like, oh, actually, his, and he knows that he's not showing emotion, but he's like, my mind is, is going at all moments in all directions with all these other competitors. Um, and he loves leaderboard watching. He wants to know what every player made uh, ahead of him so that he, he knows that like, if he sees Rory makes an eagle on, on 15 or whatever, he knows it's gettable. And that, that means that he's going to make a three there, whatever that is. Like, I just, I just found that whole, uh, you know, we went actually like hours on, on that kind of stuff. I'm just kind of getting that, that really intricate, um, that, that competitor stuff that I, I just don't think, you know, I, I think that reporting on this sort of stuff in, in the moment is very difficult. You have to ask super specific questions as a beat reporter. It, when you get the luxury of, sitting down and talking in detail after the fact, you can get some really interesting stuff that he's maybe not going to give you in the locker room or whatever at the press conference. So when you, when you, I'm curious to know a little bit of like a, a lens into your world. So, so you go to meet him. Uh, number one, what do you have with you? Do you have like, you know, what, what's the exact notebook model pen recorder? <laughs> Is your phone on airplane mode? What are you nervous? What what's the what's your version? What's the story? What's if I was going to write a story about you, where do I, where do I start with that? Well, it's it's funny. It's it's basically the same for anybody, whether it's like a FBI agent or an athlete or whatever. It's like a, you know, you have you have a notebook, you have a pen, you have a, a voice recorder. You're you're hoping that you can um, get some sort of ability to spend time with that person or talk to them beforehand to just kind of you know, loosen up or whatever. The, the, we met at um, this kind of funny place um, in Jupiter that uh, is a restaurant with the name I'm, I'm blanking on, but um, a bunch of the golfers co-own it with Michael Jordan. And, um, and you know, they kind of have like a little membership there and Gary Player was hanging out. And I guess a lot of the golfers passed through there. And so it was a comfortable place for him. He was, uh, he was you know, had, had a few cocktails, knew the menu, you know, it was like very relaxed for him. And that's, that's always easier than when you're like, you know, meeting across a um, conference room table and the stakes feel a little, little less comfortable. And so that, that's always a good sign if they're drinking in front of you or they're, you know, just like comfortable in some, in some way. Um, his girlfriend was there. Uh, it, it was, it was a nice dinner. And, and what's good about that is it kind of locks you into a longer situation too. And so, and then, um, the next day was, was, was at the house and the golf course. And, uh, and you, you, once you, if you can establish that thing early, I find that the thing you want is as many interactions as you can, like in number, they don't all have to be quality, but you can get different angles on a thing. And if maybe one of them is not as exciting, then you're going to take a break and come at it. Like it was nice that we didn't drive to the golf course together. I thought that that was useful. He and he and his caddy Ricky like were in the car in front of me, and that allows him to maybe be like, you know, to reset. He doesn't feel like I'm watching everything. He can he can joke around with his caddy for a minute, and then you know I'm, when I'm there, like it's on, and um, he knows or or should know that like anything that's happening is on the record, and uh, if he wants to take something off, he can. But but for the most part, like like we were talking about the camera lens is open. And, um, and so that's kind of interesting is you want to give them breaks that it doesn't feel like you're just like up in there. Like I'm in his house. That's, that's quite a lot already. You know, I'm not going to like nose around and go upstairs or something like that, but I'm looking at things. I, I talk about how, um, 
you know, some of the, some of the, he has John Rahm's like save the date on his refrigerator in the store and stuff like that. You know, those are not details that, that you get if you're, if you're not invited in. And so you, um, yeah, you're just trying to, to find things that, you know, you know, nothing that's like gonna, that, that's a superfluous detail that, um, has no meaning. I think that that did because it was, he has a, a reputation of not being friends with anybody on tour, you know, and here it's maybe just, I think he likes that a little bit more, but actually gets along with these guys fine. And, and, um, and so that's what it is. You're just kind of just taking notes. I take a lot of notes um, in an email draft. Um, and that's, a, that's more nitty gritty, you know, and, and so that you don't have to constantly have the book out and you can look like you're just kind of texting or answering an email or whatever, but you can kind of have your eyes open for, for things like that. But that, that's almost for any story um, you, where you're, you're just trying to be, again, just like noticing as much as possible, giving breaks, not, not, not wearing somebody down. And when you, when you find them in a topic that you don't want to talk about, we, we go off on a, on a politics jag at one point and, um, you know, just trying to kind of be, be open and polite in that, in that kind of situation. And he had stuff he wanted to say there, which I found really interesting. We, we got to have follow-up conversations after he played with, with Trump about, um, about that. And, uh, you know, there, there are lots of interesting ways that that, that could have gone and, and, um, you, you just try to be, uh, to open to that and take it where, where they want to go. And, and in that way, like, I just love those kinds of things where you, there was a lot of stuff that happened that I didn't necessarily expect or things that he was interested in. I mean, you talked about what you get from, from the golf side, watching him hit balls up close is, is pretty, is pretty different than, I don't know, maybe, maybe not every pro, but I, I, go out to maybe two pro tournaments a year or something like that. So it's like, it is a real wake up call to watch ball striking from, from somebody like that. And, um, and yeah, just like I, I loved it in the context, he's at this course that he played a lot growing up and in high school, and there's a little high school match of his high school, the girls team is playing and, you know, just to watch somebody who came directly up out of, out of that soil, you know, like have, having reached the, the pinnacle and just kind of hitting shots out there and the same range that he used as a kid. Like, it's very, it's very cool to see that, that, that you're watching somebody do something better than anybody else, but it's also not like impossible then to trace how he got there. You can actually see that development and he's not, not unapproachable or, or superhuman or whatever. It's just like, wow, this was just like rot from right here. And, um, and in that way it's, it's, you know, it's impossible to imagine hitting a golf ball like that, but it's definitely inspiring to watch. You, you said um, you said that when you're together, everything's on the record. Is that is that like a a pre-signed contract that they that they agree to? Right. So when we sit down, I I have a conversation generally where um, I ask if I can start recording. Um, I usually put my on the table just so that there's like you know, we, we know what's going on. And then, yeah, I, I let them know the, the rules where it's sort of like we're on unless we're off. And that's the, that's the way it usually goes. And, um, there are things often that, um, are said that it's sort of like, well, we, we'd like to steer away from that. And I can maybe just say like, we're, that's not interesting to me, that thing, you know, that's not going to appear. There's usually during, especially during the fact-checking process, a moment where these, these questions come in that are like, completely disembodied from the context, you know, and it's like, um, you know, uh, does, does Eric like this kind of, um, 
coffee at you know 9 a.m on on Fridays or whatever and you're sort of like wait what is the story about uh you know but it's like it's maybe just a detail that that kind of like made it into the piece and it's it's not a big thing being made out of it but that's usually where the the tension starts to come in of like what is this about is this going to be you know something often a corner that we didn't want it to go or whatever but but that usually gets worked out and and uh, you know we we always I, I have all the you know notes and all the uh, all the the recordings and you can usually work it out where you know if somebody wants to start saying oh I didn't say that or whatever then you kind of get into the well we have we have the thing and you know we just want to get to a place where we want to make sure it's it's accurate and um and and so in that way it's like yeah everything everything is on um I think that people get comfortable very quickly um I've noticed over the years where maybe at first it's sort of you're, you've got um your, your guard up a little bit about the recorder going and it's kind of amazing after an hour or whatever, you know, people, I guess that's what they say about like reality TV shows and stuff too. You, the cameras just kind of disappear and suddenly you get a much more um, kind of fluid conversation going and, and, uh, and, you know, that's when things tend to get interesting is you're not trying to, you know, get somebody, but you do want to get them talking the way they talk and thinking the way they think and, and just kind of presenting that faithfully, um, especially if it's something that people haven't seen before. Is there anything like about to leave the topic of Brooks, but is there anything about this man that you respect more than anything else? Is there, is there some, is there something within this sort of portrait that you made of him that you saw, you know what, that th this really is the thing that's, you, you, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I think that for me, it was, um, I love interacting with meeting about meeting with, writing about in particular people who like really just seem to understand themselves and like are the way they are. And like, even when people push him to like answer questions, like why aren't you more of this or that or the other thing? Like it hasn't even occurred to him to like be a different version of himself, you know? Like it's just sort of like, here's here's what I like. Um, I've always liked this. I kind of have, you know, been driven in this very specific direction since I was little. Like he, even before he was uh, winning golf tournaments, certainly before he was like elite level, he thought that he was going to be a pro golfer. It's really the only thing he ever cared about. Had a completely like um, unfounded um, confidence in his game in, in a way that he had not that kind of confidence in any other aspect of his of his life um, wasn't great at school. Didn't think he probably could have gone to college, like unless he was playing golf. And so, like, he, he has his friends, his high school friends, his college friends, um, and uh, and everything else is just kind of incidental. I think he's just like, this is my my approach to things, and I, I do love that when you just get somebody who um, is like, I I don't know why. I am this way, but I, but I'm probably not going to change very much. And in one, one direction or another, it, it, um, it's not what everybody's like, obviously there's a lot of people who can be much more fluid and, and trying to find new, new things. But, uh, it's kind of amazing when you kind of have that faithful representation where I'm like, I deeply believe that what you're saying is true because it's so consistent with, with everything else. Um, you, you, uh, your most recent novel, and I'm, I'm curious to know how on earth you write a novel. I've never really asked that question of my, I've never wondered, you know, I think I just accept that they exist in the world and sometimes get turned into movies. Um, 
you Barcelona days is it's it's a I I haven't read it but I don't read anything so that's one thing <laughs> but <laughs> but it sounds like I would like it I mean this idea of um you know being stuck in on a on a vacation in Iceland unplanned adventure ensues where did the idea come from there was there was a um a uh, Icelandic volcano in 2000 erupted that grounded all did i say earthquake out of what's that did i say i think i said earthquake i i was thinking volcano so i'm clearly yeah yeah no no, no right so so there's a, a volcano in iceland um that that goes off and grounds all these flights in um in and out of europe and it was just sort of this weird pause you know like we're, we're obviously deeply feeling that now but at, at that moment it was sort of uh one of these you know modern life unprecedented moments where everybody was stuck in place and um, and I had heard some great kind of stories coming out of there of just things that had gone very differently or blown up or, or come to be or whatever, all because of this, this pause that happened. And so in, in the novel, it's, um, it's like super, um, specific, uh, human drama between these four Americans, but the, the kind of inciting incident is the, um, is a version of that kind of like Icelandic volcano, the book set in, in, um, may of 2017 but they this this couple that's sort of right at this heavy pivot in their in their um in their relationship um and have have decided that they they give each other um three free passes before getting engaged and they go on this trip to barcelona they confess in this long kind of brutal dinner uh, at the end of which they decide okay we're gonna make it um and let's just go home and get out of here and then they get grounded uh by this volcano stuck in Barcelona for four days, run into another pair of Americans. And the four of them are just kind of, uh, you know, kind of in this pressure cooker together, trying to figure out, uh, figure out their, their lives right at this fracture point for all of them. But, but I just love that idea of something in the natural world imposing itself in a way that kind of brings everything in your, your small mundane little life, you know, to the, to the surface in that way where it feels, it feels more intense. It feels, a lot like um what's what's happening right now where where you're just sort of everything is is more intense um inside with your family whoever you're 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 with um with uh with your your coworkers, that 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 pressure cooker quality by something that's so deeply out of our control has just has been interesting to me since i remember that happening in 2010. yeah so what are you going to title the book about what's it going to be like you know, have you thought of a title? COVID days, or is it there's oh, the, the the quarantine uh, fiction? Yeah, the the big shelf of fiction. Is like, <laughs> I saw I saw a funny a funny thing about how um, you know introducing the the Sundance um, you know lineup for 2022 or whatever, and it was just exclusively <laughs> you know c- coronavirus uh, little dramas inside kind of thing. Yeah, um, but but there there is an interesting thing where it's it's I'm sure that genius writers will make great. Uh, art and drama out of out of uh, this moment, but boy, does it feel does it feel like not what I want to read about right now, you know, or, yeah. or see where it's sort of like this this uh, thing where it's like when when this clears finally, uh, you know, fingers crossed that it's just going to be like good riddance to that whole period of time. I don't need to sit in that anymore. Yeah, I mean, yeah. What has been your outlet in this period of time? I mean, yeah, I know for me, the thing I did that was, I might do it again. In the beginning of quarantine, I watched Shawshank Redemption. And, uh, oh, yeah. 
Yeah, it just it just hit me different in quarantine because the dude's in jail. He goes to solitary. He thrives, and then he escapes. And I'm like, great man. So you're telling me I've got about you know two hours of difficulty, and then I'll th- and then I'll escape. And where am I right. going? You know, is it Montana? I don't know. I can't get on a plane. Have you have you has any stories that you found throughout the world left you feeling? Oh, you know what? It's not that bad. We're, we're going to be okay. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. Like, no. <laughs> Using the, the time less less to kind of, you know, with the, the specific like escape escape on the other side thing, then I, I like tried to enjoy the the pause of like no new stuff in, in some ways. And like you're you're talking about going back to, you know, what I think that was made in like ninety-four, you know, these these books or or films from the especially the, the 80s and, and 90s for me, a lot of, I, I, it's funny where I, I was reading like a lot of books that I read in high school, like re- rereading them for the first time and and just kind of like, okay, here's, a, here's an opportunity to maybe, um, I don't know, just engage with a bunch of stuff that because there's not that brand new thing, and of course there's new stuff coming out, but it, but it is maybe a moment to, to kind of pause and, and just think about time a little differently in that way. And just like a, a lot of those, those classics to, to take that break and be able to do that. And, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's challenging. Like I'm, I'm not one of these people who like goes and I've noticed that one of the best sellers right now is about the 1917, um, you know, <laughs> flu and, and people like, you know, sticking their head and, and that sort of stuff. That's not really me. I'm trying to, trying to stay away a little bit, but, but even, you know, in golf and golf content, it's interesting. Like I've noticed a lot of places kind of, um, because there's nothing new to, talk about in professional ranks at least like that thing of looking back it's cool you know it's nice to take a moment and i love what the the masters did um rerunning all those all those great kind of classic uh final rounds and and just kind of being able to take a breather and and maybe appreciate the the uh the history and kind of dip into that a little bit more it's just not that constant constant grind of the new thing that you might be missing yeah i mean interesting i mean from that perspective i i too shared the same kind of pleasure in watching what I already knew the outcome was. Um, I had never seen the Torrey Pines U S open. Um, that was, that was fascinating, you know, and it's interesting. I mean, yeah, it's like, it's like the more you take away, um, first of all, more or less from an entertainment perspective, it's like, we're fine. There is more than enough stuff to watch and read and listen to. Like, like you're totally right. The, the avalanche of content, is um not missed really i mean yes we miss live sport but do do we did, did, did is it a big difference everybody talks about who especially who works that i know in in covering this sort of stuff whether you're a television critic or um you know uh, somebody who's you know constantly kind of having to keep up with Currently frozen. Um, oh no. I'll see for a second, but I, 
I kept the answer going, if that's useful. I don't know if you could hear any of that. I figured you were going to just nail it, and then later on we'll just chop it up. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Speak of the devil. We're talking of difficulties of making content during these times. I know. I think it might might be my my internet here that keeps dropping out. It's okay. I mean, we're almost done. I think, um, you know, I think... um, I don't really have a follow-up question. I was just going to say, Daniel V. Riley on Instagram, check out Barcelona Days, check out um, you know, the work you've done for GQ. I, 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 found, it's, I, I actually read your piece also on watching old golf tournaments, I think. You know, um, I find them very entertaining, and I look forward to reading your next uh, time that you point the pen at golf, and I think that the, the world will be a better place for it, and hopefully, uh, hopefully you do, which something which is what I think is maybe the most important thing that people can do in your position or my position, which is maybe convince or suggest to those that don't golf that they could try it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I just, you know, really appreciate all that you've been doing in that, in that way. Like I said, it's just like a thing that had grown so stale for me for so long after, after years and years of really, really loving it and to be, um, you know, re-engaged at, at the level I am. That's just me personally. And so I can't imagine what it is for people who are coming fresh to it um, and kind of just like seeing that that new way into it. It's it's such a great game. It's such um, an easy thing to kind of fall into obsession with. And um, there are such rewards if you can if you can find your your entry point to it. And so it's nice that there are just um, more more places um, that are are kind of providing those those entry points and and obviously the stuff you're doing is, is part of that so i'm i'm just a fan and appreciate it thank you man the, the, the feeling is mutual um i i'm gonna I, i'd like to talk to you for a second when we're done um yeah so let's uh let's say goodbye thank you daniel i really appreciate it again you're daniel v riley on instagram is there anywhere else where do you do you, do you I'm, I'm assuming you're not a snapchat guy <laughs> not a Snapchat guy. That's good. Twitter, Twitter is the same thing. Instagram, and then, um, and then, yeah, those, those, those books. The first novels, Fly Me, and and this new one's Barcelona Days, out next month. What does the V stand for? Vroman. Wow. Yeah, grandfather's name Dutch. Dutch first name. What a beautiful middle name. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's definitely not not common. I like it. How many people ask you what it stands for? A lot. Sometimes when I'm just doing the, uh, you know, the reading it over my credit card over the phone or whatever, I pick other V names. uh, (laughs) What's the common response? What's the best response you've gotten to the reveal of the middle name? Oh, they still have, they just don't even know what I'm saying. You know, like it's just, (laughs) what? Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a familiar name. I feel like I've heard it. But I can't well, there, say I have. One thing that was what fortunate growing up in Los Angeles is the the big famous bookstore in Pasadena is Vroman's, and so like if you if you like are over in that area or like grew up kind of going to going to that place, they at least they at least knew. When my grandfather landed in Pasadena in the seventies, he felt extremely fortunate that you know he didn't know that there was a place there, this first place that they'd seen his name before. My father's middle name is Vern, which is yep. you know strange i mean not not strange but it's it's not common anymore right and you hear and you don't necessarily know what you know Vern. um all right daniel well thank you for your time i uh i look forward to seeing your next piece thank you i'm gonna stop this now.